Hopefully y'all are not uh, going to think that it's been a broken record for the last several weeks, but we're going to talk about mission, being on mission. What is mission? What does mission look like? Who's on mission? All of those kinds of things. Um, I was telling them earlier that uh, even as late as, uh, as recently as 11, 11.30 last night, early this morning, I was still wrestling with exactly what I want to say this morning, what I want to talk about. We might be here 10 minutes. We might be here an hour and 10 minutes. Probably not the hour and 10 minutes, but uh, just uh, pray that uh, the Lord would move me out of his way this morning and, and share what, uh, what he's got uh, to share this morning. So uh, we've talked about mission. We've talked about it for weeks, even months. We had uh, my friend Brian come up from Florence to talk about House of Hope down there, what they're doing. Um, we had sort of missions week or love your neighbor week is what we called it. And uh, so for the last several months, we've been talking about being on mission. Um, we've been, we've kicked around ideas that uh, we have these preconceived notions of what mission is, that you have to go to a third world country to be considered going on mission, um, or you have to serve the homeless or whatever that looks like. And yes, those are part of mission, but that's not the only thing that mission is. Uh, mission is so, so much more. Mission is also teaching here at, at Teaching Sunday School. Helping with vacation Bible school, men's groups, helping set up a tent, helping clean up the church, helping do all of those things, picking the ladies up from Toby's place. All of those things are part of mission, but that's not it. Mission is honoring God wherever you are. If you're a teacher, your mission is in the classroom. That's your mission field. You're preparing and protecting in some ways young our young people, as you teach and care for. If you're a, a, a contractor, you're building a house for a family. That's an incredible mission. If you're a, a mechanic, you're making sure a car is safe for some little one to ride in. What a great mission. And I think when we start to approach everything we do as a mission opportunity, we'll start to see change in our community and most importantly, we'll start to see change in ourselves. Mission can be uh, being an example of kindness to our coworkers that look, act, and think differently than we do. I think mission can be summed up as the active daily pursuit of displaying the humility of Christ that looks not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. So working with a group out of Charleston, uh, it's Mission Charleston, and they've got several other organizations that are part of their, their ministry there. Um, part of their mission statement or vision statement says that we help provide repeated opportunities for every man, woman, and child where we live, work, and play to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. So in other words, everybody we come in contact with, wherever we are, we want to make sure they have opportunities to know about Jesus. Their one-line summation of, of their mission is to make Jesus unignorable to every man, woman, and child. I love that. Make him unignorable. Some of us, we, we can make ourselves unignorable, but not in a good way. Um, sometimes we get to ranting and raving, and, and uh, we are 
people can't ignore us, but uh, that, again, that's not necessarily in a good way. So we want to make Jesus unignorable by showing the humility that he displayed. They have a model, if you will. I want to talk about it briefly. It's movement, kingdom, harvest, disciple. The movement, there is a movement. There's a movement of God, our missionary God, who is on a redemptive mission to make all things new. Having been transformed and made new ourselves, God doesn't need us, but yet he wants us to join him in and on this mission. Second is kingdom. God's kingdom is so much greater than any of us individually or any churches, ministries, or other organizations. So part of their focus is collaboration between individuals, between churches, between ministries, again, to make Jesus unignorable. Harvest, God desires that all would be saved. He loves his creation and calls his people to join him by loving, reaching, and engaging the lost and broken in our places. <clears throat> Disciple. The last piece of that, and I could talk for days about discipleship, and honestly, I believe a lack of discipleship is why we're in the situation we're in now where we need so much mission on a, on a daily basis. Um, I heard a, a pastor say one time, evangelism without discipleship is cruel. So we want to go tell people about Jesus, but we're not willing to stick around with them and walk with them. Again, we could talk for days about that. We could talk about any of these things at length as they're all part of this mission that God's called us into. But I want to focus on the idea of harvest. Harvest as the places that we occupy on a daily basis where we live, work, and play. <clears throat> For the last six months or so, we were working on tweaking and massaging what our mission here at Calvary Ch Chapel Northeast is. Um, and we've, we've kind of landed in, on this idea of caring for people in crisis. Now, we're all either in a crisis, coming out of a crisis, or about to go into a crisis. So we could be caring for every one of us at any given time, and, and that is the reality of what our mission is. But when we, when we look at that, we, we want to talk about crises that are more evident, They're the things that are uh, more noticeable, the things that are on that side of it, unignorable. For us to better care for people in crisis, we need to understand that people in crisis need three things, help, hope, and home. We can help foster these things by meeting people where they are, loving them as they are, and staying with them, walking with them as they go. That third one is all about discipleship. But we've got to get through the first two first. And that's what Harvest is all about. Meeting people where they are and loving them as they are. Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38 when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Notice that Jesus doesn't pray that the harvest would come to us. He says that we pray that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest. I said this last Friday during the devotional, God didn't save the lost and heal the sick to take us out of the world, but rather to send us back into 
the harvest. So who is it that's being sent out as laborers? It's us. Christians, it's you and me being sent into his harvest. I'll come back to that idea in a minute, but I want to turn attention to what the actual mission is. What do we do when we go wherever it is that we're sent? Before we look at that, the great commission, I think we first have to look at the great commandment. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. <clears throat> Mark's version, Mark 12, 29 through 31, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So hopefully we don't need a reminder of who our neighbor is. It's not just those who live near us, or in our cul-de-sac, or on our street, or even those that just work with us, those that we do life with on a daily basis. It's not just the people who look like us, think like us, and act like us. It's all those that don't fit in those categories. And yes, that includes those that don't vote like us and don't do the things that we think they ought to be doing. If we've had an encounter with the living God, with the resurrected Christ who has transformed us and made us new and then commands that we show this same incredible love for our neighbors, what then should we be doing? We should be telling people, right? We want them to know. If you go to the theater and see the greatest movie ever, you're going to tell your friends about it. If you go to a restaurant and have the greatest meal that you've ever had, nothing will ever compare, you want people to know about it. Wouldn't you? <clears throat> you want people that you care about to experience something that you enjoyed or something maybe that you found joy in. How much more would you tell others about it if it were free? What if it was free forever and all you had to do was show up? What if it was the most amazing thing ever, it was free, all you had to do was show up and is guaranteed to change their life? Why would you not? How could you not tell others? <clears throat> if you had the cure for the coronavirus that you could just hand somebody something and, and they'd be cured. We'd be done with it. We'd be running to give it to people, right? <clears throat> Why is it then that we're sort of stingy with this grace that God's given us? Heard a, another pastor say one time that uh, being stingy with grace is like a fireman being stingy with water. We've got this unlimited supply, but yet we hold on to it because we think somehow we're going to lose it. <clears throat> I'm going to pause for a minute. I've said this many times that I came through school relatively unscarred by education. Um, so I need to recap some of this and, and simplify it for myself. Just because this is a, this crazy idea that I need to 
to kind of try to wrap my head around. The God who created me and knew how messed up and rebellious I was going to be loved me so much that he allowed his son, Jesus, to step out of eternity and into a broken world to live the life that I couldn't live, to die the death that I should have died, meanwhile, lavishing me with the gift of grace that I would be saved from my sin and myself. He's risen, the tomb is empty, so that all men can now have an encounter with Jesus, the living God, and be made new as well. Now, he not only calls, but equips us to be sent back into the harvest to tell others the good news of how they too can be made new. That pretty well sums it up. It's unimaginable, but it's pretty simple. I've referenced several times in the last week, the man that Jesus healed of the many demons. And I think it's important that we get a big piece of this story. Yes, there was incredible transformation for this man who was once chained, living among the tombs, screaming out. The people were afraid of him. He was naked. And a couple of pastor, a couple of chapter, uh, a couple of verses after he meets Jesus and Jesus heals him, the townspeople come and they see him sitting beside Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. So this, this man has an incredible testimony. He has an incredible story of what God's done in his life, what Jesus did for him. And he begs Jesus. I, I doesn't say he begs him. He asks Jesus if he can go with him. I think he probably begged him. If, if I had that encounter with Jesus, I want to go with Jesus. I want to be with you. I don't want to not be with you. But Jesus says, no, I need you to go back to your town and tell everybody what I've done. He sent him back into the harvest. <clears throat> the Samaritan woman at the well, after this encounter with Jesus, and if you watch The Chosen, there's a whole episode, she's telling everybody what Jesus did. The blind man, he, he couldn't shut him up. So God's love, my testimony, my story, that I was one way, I met Jesus and now I'm different. The hope that we have in us, his great command me loving others in the way that I'm supposed to, and the Great Commission are all directly and inextricably linked and dependent on one another. In fact, I don't think we can begin to live out Jesus' great mission, which he has commissioned us into, until we start to grasp the weight of the Great Commandment. We love God because he's done a supernatural work in others, in us, and we love others from the overflow of that great love that God showed us. And ultimately, we're called to love others the way that God loves us. If we love others that way, then we can't not share the good news. So what is this great commission? Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore make disciples. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. I would add Acts 1, 8 as a part of that, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. To be a witness to something, we have to experience or seen something. <clears throat> So you sum it up this way, go tell everybody what Jesus has done for you and make him unignorable everywhere you go. 
Not only are we to make Jesus unignorable to others, I think this command uh, is that we, we want to make people unignorable to us. We, we want people to hear what Jesus has done. We've had an encounter with him. We've been transformed, we're called, equipped, and sent, and cannot ignore it. We don't get to say, no, I don't feel like it. <clears throat> Acts 4 and 5. I'll just kind of skip through a couple of <clears throat> passages. Acts 4, verse 13, Peter and John are preaching, and the, the Pharisees and the rulers come to them, and it says, verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So there was something about Peter and John that not only did they recognize him probably from having physically been with Jesus, but there was something in them that, was, that it was evident they had spent time with Jesus. He was unignorable to them. So they tell, him, tell them that they're no longer able to, to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them in verse 19, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Chapter 5, verse 29. Again, as they're being challenged and told, not to do these things, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. My, uh, <clears throat> for some time, sort of my life verse, and I just, I think it's, I think I need it to be because I need to understand that uh, absent the grace of God, that, uh, that my life is, is nothing, um, has been Acts twenty twenty four. But I do not account my life of any value, not as precious to myself, if only my, I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. <clears throat> he's changed us and he's called us. He sent us into the harvest. And we don't have a, we don't have a choice. We don't get to, th there is no plan B. That's, that's, that's God's plan A. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 9, the verses I referenced earlier, 36 to 38, I think it was. <clears throat> we talked about Jesus sending them back into the harvest, but just prior to that, turn to verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. They were harassed and helpless. They were sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion for them, which is defined by Webster's as a sympathetic consciousness of others' suffering or distress together with a desire to alleviate it. I think compassion is the catalyst that causes us to put love into action. We love others, we see their distress, and we have a desire 
to enter into that and help them in whatever crisis it is. And when we're talking about sheep without a shepherd, we have met and know that shepherd. Our mission field then is the place where the people that we love, our neighbors, are in some form of crisis and we're moved by compassion to do something to help them in the crisis. And again, we know the solution to every crisis. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that there is no new crisis. There's no new trial. Nothing is shocking or surprising to God. But God is faithful, giving us a way of escape by which we can bear the trial or struggle or crisis. That way of escape is Jesus. We're laborers sent into the harvest where we live, work, and play to tell of this way of escape. I want to talk briefly about one other, I think, great piece of the puzzle. Micah 6.8. Many of us know it. Several places, Jesus as well as prophets, talk about we miss out on the fullness of the truth of the gospel because we're so legalistic about our rituals and and even our sacrifices. Um, It's not the sacrifice of things that Jesus wants. It's our sacrifice. It's our obedience in doing whatever it takes to show and share the love of Jesus to those around us. Micah 6, starting in verse 6, though, with that, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So we're asking, what is it, Lord, that, that you want? What can I bring to you that will please you? Verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. I think it's the great requirement. We have great commission. We have the great commandment. And I think we've got the great requirement. Because we want to offer up sacrifices. We want to throw money at something or, or... Old Testament, we want to we be able to, to give an animal or whatever it is rather than giving of ourselves. To do justice, this idea of justice is to be sacri- sacrificially committed to the wholeness of our neighbors. Our sacrifice, not a sacrifice, but our sacrifice to the well-being and wholeness of the people that we love, that we're commanded to love. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, Obedience is greater than sacrifice. Proverbs 21, 3, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And again, I'd say that's a sacrifice. <clears throat> yes, we render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but we give to God what is God's, and that's us. It talks about kindness or mercy, and that's, that's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. We walk humbly with God. Walking with, a, with God means that we are in agreement on a few things. Pastor Brennan's talked about this. We're in agreement on the pace that we're going. We're in agreement on where we're going. Um, and we do that humbly. We model the humility of Christ who, who humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death on a cross. And it goes back to that picture of humility 
in Philippians 2 where we count others as more significant than ourselves. I don't know that I or we are fully prepared to sacrifice ourselves, to die to ourselves, to fulfill this great mission that we've been given. Invite the worship team to come back up and I'll start to close. John chapter 15, verses 11 through 15. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. We're called to love God and love others. There is no greater love than that sacrificial commitment to the well-being of others. Have you experienced this great love? Have you encountered Jesus, the living God, to the point that your joy is full? So the measure of fullness isn't, how's the best way to say it? If you pour water into a glass and you stop and there's that much, you might think it's full. It's not. There's still room for more. The measure of fullness is when it starts to overflow. When it starts to overflow from the vessel that it's being poured into. And as that joy of Jesus is poured into us and it overflows, who's it touching around you? Is Jesus your great desire and your deep gladness in a dark and broken world that desperately needs to know the hope that's in you? In a world that needs to be moved by the overflow of Jesus in your life? There's a quote from Frederick Buechner. The place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet meet where is it or better who is it that God's calling you to what has he equipped you for in your spheres of influence draw near to him now and he'll draw near to you ask him for a fresh outpouring of his spirit to lead and guide you to the mission that he has for you and as we sing this last song I challenge you to do business with God to 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 seek and find that that deep gladness, that joy that overflows. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We just pray that during this time of worship that we would do business with you, Lord, that we would surrender ourselves for your mission that you called us into. Lord, bless this time. In Jesus' name. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.